And I want to talk to us a little while about something the Lord's put on my heart. You know, you look up there this morning, fight the good fight. Run the race. Keep the faith. Stay the course. Anybody in here today who's saved, who wants to honor Jesus, who is striving to be a faithful child of God, that should be something that you think about a lot. That should be something, and hopefully at the end of our life, that we will be able to say has been accomplished by the grace of God. I want you to see something with me this morning. These are biblical expectations for all children of God who are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're where Jesus wants us, doing what God wants us to do, going down the course he's set, fighting the fight, keeping the faith, that's what's going to be happening in our life. And if you're on this journey this morning, if we are in the fight, we are running the race, you stay in the course of faith, we better have a good pair of shoes, would you agree with me? To wear on our spiritual journey. And so I want to talk to you this morning about barefoot Christianity. I know I'm freaking out some of you Baptist religious people, but if this has got you worried, I also lost my watch. But I want you to think about this this morning. The Bible tells us from the armor of God that God gave us so that we can fight, so that we can stand, so that we can run the course. That he's given us some equipment, some armor. And out of that armor, one of them is a pair of shoes, amen? And he says right here, for this is the New Living Translation, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news, that's the gospel, that you will be fully prepared. Now today, this bothers some people maybe because I'm barefoot, but think how much it must bother God if he shed blood, gave his life to give you a pair of spiritual shoes and you ain't wearing them. See, the truth of the matter is this morning, there's there's Christians everywhere we go that come to church every Sunday barefooted as a yard dog. Y'all know what that means in the eyes of God. I want you to read with me here this morning. The Bible says... In the book of Ephesians, from the pen of the Apostle Paul, it says, finally, my brothers and sisters, my brethren, chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor, not half of the armor, not part of the armor. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he gives you a description of what we wrestle. We don't wrestle against one another, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, he repeats it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all the stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with a truth, that's a belt of truth. Being mindful that Paul was probably looking at a Roman Praetorian guard, a soldier who was wearing this armor when he was inspired by God to use this illustration in the Holy Scriptures. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness that would protect your heart, and how important it is to protect your lungs and your vitals, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the New King James. 
And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. Thank God for a shield. And take the helmet of salvation that protects your head. And then also thank God for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But I'm here to tell you, you can have all of those. A working knowledge of truth, the sword of the Spirit. You can have a Bible. You can be saved and have the helmet of salvation on your head. And the breastplate of righteousness that comes from not only the imputed righteousness that grace provides in Christ, but the practical righteousness of a righteous life living out for Jesus that protects your heart from guilt and blame and shame, but also from condemnation from God. But friends, if you don't have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, you're unprepared. You can have all those weapons, but if your feet are not shoed, you're not going to be a very good soldier. I don't even like to leave the patio without my shoes. In fact, this is not something I want to do. Believe me, I like shoes. I don't like to be barefoot. But guys, just think about this for a minute. The gospel is what prepares us and gives us the peace of God. And he says that we are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, you wonder why those preachers say all the time, and you heard me, the gospel needs to be preached every Sunday. The gospel needs to be preached on a regular basis. You never get too saved to hear the gospel. The gospel is something you need to constantly be reminded of because anything that we have that gives us peace with God in our relationship is because of and through the gospel. Without the gospel, we have no peace with God. It is because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his shed blood. It is because of him and his burial and his resurrection that we have hope to have victory over death and that even death won't get us, that we have true peace. In Christ, that's all provided by the gospel. That's why we can walk every day with the peace beyond understanding in our heart. Peace with God that we're no longer enemies, but we're a friend of the God. And friends, listen, that ought to every day be what keeps you going. But I want you to think about this with me. Too many Christians are crippled and limping around, ineffective for Jesus today because they're fighting the good fight and running the race barefooted without any spiritual shoes. If you've never shared the gospel and you don't know how to share the gospel, you are a barefooted Christian, my friend. And you're handicapped. And I want you to think about this with me this morning. If we don't know the gospel well enough to share it, how can we know the good news well enough to shot our feet with it? Now, what do you think it means to shod your feet with the gospel? I think it means to have a basic understanding of the gospel enough to be saved first. <laughs> and if you don't even, can't even tell me what it is, what's saving you when the Bible says that it is the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You're saved by putting faith in it. So I believe, and I got this off of a, a book that I was reading, having our feet fitted with the shoes, and that's what the, NIV says, instead of shod, it says, have your feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace allows us to be ready to share Jesus with others at all times. As Christians, we should always be prepared as we never know when an opportunity may arise to share the good news of the gospel with someone else. <laughs> we should be walking every day with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
able at a moment's notice to be able to say, let me tell you about what the Lord can do for you. And friends, listen, today, if you will bear with me for a little while, if you cannot share the gospel, you are one of the poorest of all Christians. <laughs> you don't even have a pair of shoes on your feet. If you don't know the gospel good enough to articulate it and be able to take it in a Bible and say, this is the gospel, then what are you trusting this morning? What are you walking with every day? How are you fighting when you're barefooted? Because I want you to think about this. If you're in a fight and you barefoot it, you might have a sword, you might have a helmet, you might have a shield, but you stump your big toe, the fight's over. <laughs> At least it is for me. And if you don't wear shoes and you march all day, you might make one day barefooted, but I won't tell you something. You're going to have some hurting dogs at that night when you lay down. You ever scuffed one up? Remember when we was little, they had them old blacktop roads. We went barefooted all the time. We thought we could walk anywhere on anything. And we could in them days. Them old roads, you think it's hot now, it get hot down there in South Louisiana, and they had them old pea gravel roads where they pour that pea gravel and they just pour that oil out. And that pea gravel would get mashed down in there, that was blacktop. But when it got hot, that old oil bubble up out of that pea gravel. You'd see them bubbles. My crazy little brother could step on them. We'd go home, bottom of our feet, be black with tar. But one day he was digging on a bicycle barefooted, and his foot slipped off the pedal. And he buried that foot in that blacktop. And when he got home, his foot was a mess. You know what? You don't have to let your foot slip off the pedal if you're barefooted to mess your feet up. Just walk from my patio to my back shop. And when them stickers is out like they are right now, I promise you'll be, ooh, ah, ooh, you'll be useless. We need to be shooed with the preparation of the gospel if we're going to run the race, fight the good fight, keep the faith, and stay the course. And the course ain't always easy. It's not always smooth. It's oftentimes difficult. And so I want you to think about this with me today. Because many of us here today, when I walked up here without these shoes, you went, oh my God, what's he doing now? He's going to embarrass us again. If the message of the cross is truly the power of God to those who are being saved, why do so few of us put the gospel shoes of preparation on and share it? That's a valid question. Because not many of us give it away. And when I ask as a preacher, most of the time, I don't know it good enough. I'm uncomfortable. I might tell them the wrong thing. Well, maybe you believing in the wrong thing. <laughs> what did you trust? And I'm just here to get you thinking this morning. Because thinking's good for a Christian, believe it or not. But the truth is, we're marching into battle, I fear, to fight for souls, the greatest battle you can fight in with the devil himself, and we're barefooted and unprepared for the mission. So I want you to think about this with me for a minute. This man right here is a man that lived across the road from me. His name is Mr. Bob Rawls. He's one of the greatest soul winners I ever knew. If you don't have shoes on, not only do you not have shoes, but your feet ain't going to be too pretty. <laughs> your feet are going to be scuffed and bruised and cut 
You're going to have to doctor on them. But I'm here to tell you that this man had the ugliest feet I've ever seen physically. He had polio at the age of 18 in his left leg, and his left leg was dead and drawn up, and it just swung. He had one good leg, and his foot on that leg was ugly. I've seen it many times. And he wore himself out on crutches. And when I got to Wynot, he had moved to an electric wheelchair. And he got around in that electric wheelchair, and he had him a winch in the back of his truck. And he'd get that little wheelchair, and he'd drive that thing right up to the door of that Chevrolet, and he'd open it, and he had it fixed with a handle, and he'd grab it, and he'd get up on one leg, and that leg would just swing limp like a noodle. And he'd turn, he'd sit, and he'd catch his butt, and he'd pull himself up in there, and he had a wife named Dot, and he'd say, Dot, put my, put my chair in the truck. Well, after I got to knowing him and he started coming to my church, he'd say, Preacher, I'll go with you visiting. I'll go with you to the pastor's meeting. But I've got to teach you how to get me in the truck. I'll drive and treat you to lunch. And so I'd bring him to lunch, and I learned how to get him in the chair. And he'd always tell you this every time, as soon as you got in the truck, there was two things he was going to say. You got to slack out that cable where my chair won't rock? Yes, sir. You turn my battery off where my battery won't be dead? Yes, sir. All right, let's go. Where you want to go? And he'd always have him a whole pocket full of these. He called them question marks. See, Mr. Bob was a drunk, didn't get saved. He was 41. He worked at a printing shop. And at 41, he got in a wreck, totaled out two cars. One of them was full of children. He almost went to prison for it. And the Independent Baptist Church went to witness at Bob Rawls' house, and everybody said, there ain't nobody needs to go down there. He said, well, I found his crutch on the side of the road where he flipped his truck. I'm going to bring it to him, and I'm going to witness to him. By his own testimony, the man brought the crutch. The man said he was scared to death. They opened the door, and Rawls was laid up in the bed. He said, I brought your crutch, Mr. Rawls. He said, thank you. Who are you? He said, I'm a preacher. <laughs> he said, I also come to ask you if you've ever been saved. Rawls said, saved from what? Long story short, before he left, that man got saved. That Sunday, he took them crutches and he went to church with his wife. And he changed very quickly. He became a deacon at Northcrest Baptist Church and he got out of the printing business and he started the Bible bookstore in downtown Meridian. He bought one room and it grew. He knocked out a wall. He bought another room to where he took up a quarter of a block on the corner in downtown Meridian. He ran the Bible bookstore. He designed these tracks. He had them printed at a print store that he knew. He gave away probably no telling, only heaven knows how many of these tracks. When he came to my church, he left that big old church, the biggest church in Shreveport, Northcrest Baptist Church. He was a deacon. He came to our church. He lived right across the road. I just want him over with my charm now. Y'all know better than that. He heard that preacher down there is preaching the gospel. People's getting saved. And I'd go visit him, and he'd say, you ain't going to last long down there because I hear you preach. He said, that folks going to run you off like all them other preachers. He finally couldn't take it. I'd tell him, we baptized two more, Mr. Bob. We had three saved the other day. Finally, he come down there. You know what he told me the first time he came to church? On the way out in that wheelchair, when he got to the door, he said, don't throw away your boxes. You won't be here long. And he went home. <laughs> so I'd go get him, and he'd talk to me. You a soul winner? And I found out he was an old independent Baptist. That's where he got saved. That's where he'd been discipled. And we had a lot we disagreed with. He was a King James only man. Y'all know my opinion on that. And he would tell me, he said, you know, you a man of God, you preaching good, God saving people. 
but you're too Southern Baptist and you have a tendency to be liberal. And I tell him, well, you a man of God, but you a dang old too much independent Baptist and you have a tendency to be legalistic. <laughs> we get big old arguments and we even get some theological fights on Diane. But he loved Jesus and I loved Jesus and he began to be an influence on me and I on him. And when he started coming to our church and he joined, the first thing he did was, you ain't got no tracks around here. He came, he gave me a box. He had a thousand of them in that box. He said, you need to put them on that little welcome thing and on that table and in every Sunday school room. You need to start telling people to give away these things. He said, and they gave witness and he said, God will bless a soul when in church, even when it's got fools in it. And so we go witnessing. One day we went after a preacher's meeting. We went and we was in where the preachers would go eat after church. And we went in there and we were sitting at a table. And the waitress came and he started witnessing to her. He asked her, was she saved? She said, yeah, I'm saved. He said, she went off, come back with our key. He said, where do you go to church? My church there was Bethany Baptist Church. Too. She said, Bethany Baptist? He said, at it, why not? And I can promise you, but one Bethany Baptist church, why not? And she said, yes, sir. He looked at me, and I'm like, oh, no. She walked off. He said, is she a member here? I said, I don't know, Mr. Bob. You ever seen her? No, sir. She ain't saved. She comes back. He said, you sure you saved, darling? Because this here's the pastor of Bethany Baptist Church, why not? And he just told me he ain't never seen you. Feeling tea. I was like, oh God, he would tell them anything. But before we leave, he was reading her this track, told her, you need to come back. Who's your family? But that's what he did. He ate, slept, he would, he would witness to anything. The last year of his life, he laid in a bed. He couldn't get out of it. I'd go to see him a couple times a week. I'd say, how you doing today, Mr. Bob? Bored to death. I'm, I'm waiting for a tell what they call him? Telemarketer to call me. <laughs> He loved to get them on. The, but anyway, I tell you all this because his daughter gave me this one day. He was at our house. We fixed it where he could get in and out. He'd come eat. He lived right across the road. She gave me this picture. And she put on there, these men have beautiful feet. And she put that on there because she put this passage of Scripture on the back of that picture. And it sat on my bookshelf in my house. It, it sits at my office but it says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isn't it amazing that twice the feet are used in reference to the gospel of peace? Shod your feet in the gospel of peace. The kind of feet that bring the good news of the gospel are beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. You know, when you looked at this old man... Mr. Bob, I actually seen his feet numerous times. After I got close enough to him, I kind of became a across-the-road caretaker for him toward the end. They were as ugly as you've ever seen, drawn up, break your heart to look at them. But in the eyes of God, they were beautiful. Some of you might think you have beautiful feet this morning, but if your feet never ever are used to carry the good news of the saving grace of God to a lost hell-bound sinner. Your feet are pretty nasty this morning in the eyes of our God. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because we are all expected to tell others about what God has did for us. 
And the truth of the matter is, today, some of you looked at me, and I want you to look at your neighbors. Look at them. They got shoes. Does anybody see anybody else in here barefooted? Now, some of you ladies are looking and say, ooh, I wonder where she bought those. I'm going to find out. I get blessed with boots sometimes by somebody here. Oh, Charlie, give me a pair of boots. Charlie, I had to tell him you gave them to me because I didn't want them thinking I had enough money to buy all them things. Where you get them boots? We pay attention to our shoes. But friends, I want you to think about this this morning. If someone came to church each Sunday barefooted, because I know what kind of people y'all are, because he was too poor to buy a pair of shoes, there's not anybody in this room that would take action to give them a pair of shoes to wear really quick. You'd say, man, where's your shoes? I don't have any. You don't have any shoes? We wouldn't let that happen here. And we're just sinners saved by grace. The truth is, many of us in church come every Sunday spiritually barefooted and we don't even know it. See, Christ has clothed us with the armor of God and within that armor, he provided us a pair of shoes that he said, shod your feet with them, fit your feet with the gospel, the greatest news the world has ever had and ever will hear. And walk in the peace of what I've done for you. I saved you. I forgave you. And then I came into your life and I blessed you. I filled you with my spirit. And I'm going to raise you from the dead one day with me in victory over death. And you're more concerned with COVID and money and possessions than that. And that's what you talk about. And when you go see your neighbor, you'll talk about everything else but The thing you need to talk about the most is what you talk about the least. And you're my child. You're my bought and adopted with my blood. And we come to church and we're all focused on building things and accomplishing things and doing good things. But I want to remind you about something this morning. Soul winning is what we are primarily here to do. You see, the church has many ministries. Thank God for children's ministry and women's ministry and men's ministry and nursery ministry and deacon ministry, preaching ministry. But the church has only got one mission. And if the church doesn't win souls, the church will soon cease to exist. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you a church member. If you follow me, I'll make you a religious person. If you follow me, I'll make you righteous. All those things can happen. But our Lord said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll make you be able to catch other men. You see, men who have been found by Jesus... They go and find other people for Jesus. And guys, we are so far from the purpose and the mission in churches today and in our personal individual lives, myself included. I'm so caught up with pastoral ministry that I allow it to take away my personal time to be a responsible soul winner. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He's got many great quotes, but my favorite one is this. 
There's two types of Christians in every church. Soul winners and backsliders. <laughs> if you're not a soul winner, you're not doing what Jesus told us to do. Because this is what he said moments before he ascended back to heaven. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You can't make disciples of all nations if you don't win them to Christ. In Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter, verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That old man I just showed you, he preached to a dog, my friend, if it would listen to him. He created, though, a legacy. I preached his funeral for him. Him being a King James man, he always told me, don't you use that funny Bible you like. You preach out the real Bible at my funeral. But at his funeral, he was laid up in the casket with one of these in his hands like this. <laughs> and everybody walked by, and I don't know how many young men came by today, that day at that funeral and said, that old man led me to the Lord. That old man led me to the Lord. Boy, he was a soul winner. That old man helped me. That old man did this for me. An old crippled man with polio in a wheelchair. Tell you what he did me. He ignited a passion, a fire in me and instilled in me. You know, when I got ready to leave, though, he didn't just give it to me. There's nothing that ignites the fire of God and the passion of Jesus in the church more than when soul winning begins to take off. There's nothing that makes it more exciting than when someone gets saved. When Rowdy walked out, it took me to Wednesday to calm down. But when I got ready to leave, why not? Because his daughter Rhonda, who lived right across the road from us too, she still went to Northcrest. She never would join our church. She wouldn't get right. But I love Rhonda like a sister. We've been there 13 years. And she cried when we left. Her daddy had been dead about a year. And the morning we were leaving, she showed up. The vans were all full. We were fixing to pull out. And she drove over there and said, I've been hesitant to come over here because I know I'm going to be crying after you pull out. She said, but I got something for you from daddy. And she gave me a box. And when I opened it, she said, just like he used to order at the little print shop down there, I told him to give me your regular order. They said it was 1000 but I changed the address on the back to your church and I put your new office number. That's the only ones I got left out of a thousand. And she said, Daddy would want you to have these. And she gave me a thousand of these question marks. Be riding, think about it, going down the road, he'd see a hitchhiker. We're going to pick him up. I'm going to give him a question mark. <laughs> You'd be getting coffee at the drive through at McDonald's. He didn't ever buy coffee without giving him a question mark. How hard is it to give somebody this? How much harder is it to learn five verses out of the book of Romans called the Romans Road and be able to go through it and explain it to someone and at the end say, if you believe that and you say this prayer, if you believe that in your heart and say it with your mouth and call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. But that's what it's all about. And I've lost that. I don't know about you. I've all gotten sidetracked with church and religion and Nothing can ever be more important than this. Would you agree with me? And I just want to hopefully be able to stir in you 
a passion that was stirred in me at one time, and I'm praying that God will give me this burden back because I'm a firm believer that when we take soul witnessing seriously, God takes that church seriously. When we make it our daily business to give away the greatest thing God can give a person, God will give you anything else you need. But when we don't give that away, you will always struggle. You'll always be trying to get by. You'll always be in survival mode, and you'll never know what it's to be like to flourish. Soul-winning churches are flourishing churches, folks. Soul-winning Christians are flourishing Christians. I'd go over to see Rawls. He'd be laid in that bed watching Jimmy Swaggart. He had it on all the time. I said, you ain't tired of Jimmy? He's the only one you can listen to. Most of them's preaching God. They, they, they all false prophets, <laughs> heretics. I'd say, how you doing, Mr. Bob? I've been doing all right since the day I got saved. He got to crying one day. I said, Mr. Bob, I wish I could die. I said, I know, I pray. You told me to pray for you to die. I'm actually praying that. He said, well, I sure wish you would let me die. I said, Mr. Bob, all these years of all your soul winning and all the things that you did, you got them two grandsons come over here every day. I remember one day when I was crying, I wanted to quit preaching at Why Not, and I wanted to go find me another church because things was tough, and you, you knew it. You called me on the phone one morning before church and said, I want to pray with you. I know that preacher's got it tough right now. Things ain't good. I know things are difficult. I know you're in a bad situation, but I want to pray for you, and I want to tell you something. God don't call quitters, and I'm a man of God. I don't follow him. You get up and get your Bible. I'm praying for you. When he got through praying, I was sniffing. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to preach. <laughs> I told him that day, I said, I remember an old man one day called me one morning and said, God, don't call quitters, and them young boys ain't going to follow one. Boy, you sat up in the bed. <laughs> Jesus is worth suffering for. He's worth giving your life for because he gave his life for us. I just want to share with you, if you got your Bible, turn with me right quick to the book of Romans to the second chapter. I'm going to show you how quick and how easy it is to share the gospel out of the book of Romans. All you got to do is mark these verses and you can go do it. Now, Raul starts in that track with Romans 3.23, and you've all heard that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But today, most people don't understand what that is, and they don't understand the consequences of that. So when I use the book of Romans, and you can start in Romans 2, I'm going to show you seven verses, and you, I've led many people to the Lord with this. The first thing you need to tell a man is that God's wrath has judged sin. I want you to look at verse 18 of chapter 2. One verse. I got mine marked in yellow. People need to know this if they're going to be saved. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. No matter how much you try to suppress it, that's what men do. They try to suppress the truth in, un in unrighteousness. And that's what we see. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are. Now, we love to judge all them other people in sin, don't we? 
But look what the Bible says. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. There ain't nobody in this room who is not sinned just like everybody else. You may have a bigger problem. You may see it worse. But you're all guilty. Who are you to judge when you do the same? You sin too. So then he tells us in chapter 3, if you look in verse 9, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at verse 12, there is none who do good, no, not one. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and mark that. Because we've all sinned, we owe God wages, paydays coming. If you work all day, you expect wages. You expect to get a paycheck, amen? Every person on earth has got wages coming. Look what that verse says, Romans 3, I'm in chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Why would God do that? Why would he look past what we deserve, what's owed us? Death, spiritual death. But give us a gift because he loved us. Look at what it says now in chapter 5. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the verse right above that, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, not the religious. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. Man, I've been to this point when you get here, if God's working, that person's got tears in his eyes. You can't do that. But the love of God can. And if you ever get to that point and experience that, you'll never quit soul winning again. And look at what he says. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath through him. Now what do you do to get that? How do you do that? You're saved by faith, not by works. You're saved by believing in what God done, not what you do with the law of God, the commandments, because nobody in here has kept them. So you're saved by faith. So when you get to chapter 10, Paul gives you how to bring a person home, how to set the hook. Y'all know everybody fish, set the hook. Boy, ain't nothing like it when you know you got that sinner on the hook and you tell him, all right, turn to this. Look at verse 9. The Bible says that if you will confess, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. Now, it's important. You've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Look at what he says in verse 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. You've got to believe the gospel. You've got to believe Jesus died. You've got to believe Jesus rose again in your heart. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So you can believe it in your heart, but if you're not willing to ask for it and say it with your mouth, you're going to stay lost. And you can say it with your mouth till Jesus comes back, but if you don't believe it in your heart, you're just spouting religious jargon. That's what a lot of people do. 
Well, that's what you're supposed to say. That'll get you on the membership in the church, but it won't get you into heaven. But if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and you call to him with your mouth, look at verse 13. For what? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God against sin and you're forgiven against his judgment. That ain't hard to do. It took me less than five minutes because I watched on that watch. And nobody in here ain't have the intellectual ability to do it. The question is, do you have the heart to do it? Friends, can you imagine what would happen if a whole church house full of people got to telling one person a week this message? And the more you do it, the most unbelievable thing happens. The more he blesses you with it. And guys, you don't get blessed by God for how many people you get to accept it. You get blessed by God for how many people you tell it to. I had another mentor in my life, Brother Ellis Leverett. He was a soul winner. He was a King James man too. He was pretty legalistic too. He accused me of liberalism, but he loved me. And he took me and mentored me. I did his funeral too, so don't become my mentor. I'll bury you. But he told me one day, he said, how many souls you win this week? I ain't get but one, brother. I said, man, I, I told a bunch of people. He said, how many people you tell? I said, I don't know, at least 10. He said, I won three. I said, golly, three? Yeah, I had three people pray to get saved this week. I said, dang, brother Leverett. I said, how many people did you ask? He said, I ain't going to tell you. Well, he said, because I wasn't as faithful as you. He said, I only asked five people, but God saved three of them. That's between him and God. He said, you asked 10, you did way better than me. See, we got it all mixed up. It's not our job to save them, that's God's. And it's not our job to make them want to be saved, that's to do with their heart. But it is our job to tell them how to be saved. I'm convinced that there's a lost person going to walk out of here today, not by me, I told you the truth. Not by God, because I know my God is convicting you right now. He's speaking into your heart. He's got your heart going, because he did it to mine. And you're saying, I know I ain't saved. I know I ain't right. If I died right now, I ain't ready. But Oh, and the devil's telling you, you can wait. You don't have to do it. That preacher's a fanatic. If you'll just be good. No, you can't be good enough. But right now, if you want to get right with God, you can do what Rowdy did. We're going to have a time of invitation. And you're going to have a chance to speak with your mouth what you believe in in your heart. And say, Lord, I'm calling on you. Will you save me? Is there anybody here that's done that that regrets it? How many of you here would recommend taking Jesus into your heart this morning? And everybody here, my friend, is on your side. We're going to do nothing more than celebrate and give a good shout out to Jesus if you'll come to Jesus today. So I'm telling you, when you come, if you mean it, before you get to me, you're already going to be saved. And at the moment I talk to you and you say, I need to ask Jesus into my heart, and I'm going to say, do you believe what I talked about today, that God sent Jesus to save you from his wrath against unrighteousness and judgment, and he's willing to forgive you through Christ who paid it for you on the cross? Do you believe that? Will you trust him? You're going to be saved. Don't make sense to the world. 
but it is the power of God for salvation to anyone in here who will believe it. Now, I was willing to preach barefooted for you. And I'm asking you today, in the place of my Lord Jesus, would you come to Jesus? Because you're not coming to me, you're coming to Christ. And when you come up here, we're not going to ask you to join our church. That's up to you and Jesus and yourself. But I am going to ask you, if you need to be saved, to be saved. We're going to stand, but I'm going to ask everybody who's standing with me. I'm going to ask you to say, Lord, help me to be a better soul winner. Help me to tell people about you. Help me to take time to learn a track, to share the gospel, because someone's eternity is resting on us. Amen? Amen. Father, I preached, I prayed, I shared. And Lord, I'm looking now for a harvest that only you can produce. I know there's a young person in here, a young man, and there's probably a lady also who's undone, who's a breath away from hell. And Lord, they need to be saved today by your grace. I pray that you draw them, not to me, not to a church, not to religion, but to Christ. Lord, they're coming to the gospel, to the cross, but help them to walk and come and be willing to speak with their mouth what they believe in their heart. Lord, I didn't say this, you did. You said if we will confess you before men, you will confess us before the Father. But Lord, you also said that if we are ashamed of you, you will be ashamed of us before the Father. Lord, I'm praying right now for that lost person in this room to be gloriously saved and come forward today to bring honor to you. And I'm praying for everybody else in this room to put shoes on their feet and go out of here prepared to give away the greatest news of all, the gospel of peace. And I'm praying that you'll work in this room right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to come, now is your hour. This is your day. If you need to be saved, would you come? God loves you. He's calling you.